Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me for another episode. And on today's episode, we'll continue to work our way through the Apostles' Creed and discuss the line, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. So we're just about done, part one. On the second half of today's episode, we'll read paragraphs 963 through 987 and again discuss, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. So we'll hit briefly on the topic of the sacrament of confession in part two of the catechism, which is the celebration of the Christian mystery. Uh, The catechism goes through each of the seven sacraments, and so we'll go more deeply into the sacrament of confession. Uh, So congrats, you're almost a thousand paragraphs into the catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, right right about a third of the way through. So it's, it's part one of four parts, but you're about a third of the way through the catechism. So well done, and thanks for joining me each week. Uh, depending on what what you subscribe to, what sites you follow, you may have seen that Father Mike Schmitz is also doing, or about to do, a Catechism of the Catholic Church in a Year program. So he is a public Catholic figure, and he has done the Bible in a Year program, where each day he reads a little bit of the Bible Uh, discusses it, and then by the end of the year, you'll have worked your way through the Bible. So he's about to do the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is awesome. Uh, He is a gift to the church, very dynamic personality, very knowledgeable. So he, with Jeff Cavins, who um, created the uh, Great Adventure Bible series, together have been working on this yearly program uh, for to work work their way through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So when he first announced this, I was getting texts from family and friends saying like, hey, he stole your idea. Or, you know, a friend called up and said like, do you have your lawyer on hand? Because it looks like someone took your idea. So um, it's not my idea. The The Holy Spirit is alive and well, working through all his his members of the body of Christ, which is awesome. And um it's just great that, as you know, I love the Catechism of the Catholic Church, so I'm excited that that uh, such a big personality is doing it as well. So if you want two takes on the Catechism, join in, I believe, January 1st. He's, he launches it. Uh, he, too, will be going through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Sacrament of Confession. Uh, when I used to teach confession to my students, um, I would often begin the lesson by telling this story from a priest who used to be at my home parish, and I asked him after I started teaching if I could share this story because I just thought it was so powerful and um, just spoke to the the beauty of the sacrament of confession. So this this priest, Father John, who years ago was at our home parish, said that he, I believe he was raised Catholic and it was kind of a you know long and winding road away from and then back to Christ, and now he's a priest, where he said in the midst of his conversion, when he was coming back to, to God, he went to confession for the first time in, in a long time. And he said as he was sitting there in confession, he it, it was just this incredible experience where he was just unloading these burdens that he had carried around for years of, of sins he had committed, just damage he had done to himself, his relationship with God, his relationship with others. And as he confessed, you know, thing after thing after thing, he just felt like, whew, he was just, yeah, being freed. And um, again, the, these burdens were just being unloaded from his back. 
But as he confessed, he said there was one thing which he, you know, did not share, does not share with people, that was a particularly embarrassing um, or ugly sin. And as he was confessing thing after thing, he he had this the sin in the back of his mind, which he thought like, ugh, that is just a little too ugly to confess. I don't I don't think I could even say that um, aloud, much less say say that sin to this priest. You know, I don't even really know. And so he continued confessing, confessing, confessing. And then there was just this one thing left, which he didn't want to confess. And so he, he ended his confession there. And the priest, who I imagine was, was a holy priest, very in tune with the Holy Spirit, in tune with God, said, is there anything else you want to confess? And Father John said, nope, that's about it, Father. And the priest, again, whether being prompted by the Holy Spirit or sensing from Father John that that there was something he was holding back, said, are you sure there's not one more thing you want to confess? And Father John now, a little alarmed, was like, "Uh, nope, that's about it, Father. Father asked, so the priest hearing Father John's confession said, are you sure there's not one more thing you want to confess? At which point Father John was a little creeped out, like, how do you know that there is one more thing, you know, I want to confess? And so Father John said that he just said a little prayer in his heart, God, give me the grace to get this off my chest to say it. And he just, you know, summoned up all the courage he had and responded to the grace of the Holy Spirit and said, actually, there is one more thing and confessed whatever that sin was, confessed it and that was it. He, he had gotten it all out. And so the priest, you know, walked him through the rest of the sacrament of confession, absolved him from his sins. And Father John said he walked out of that confession feeling as though his feet were not touching the ground. He said all this junk, this crap that he had carried around, fruits of his own decisions, um, his own sins, were now unloaded, unburdened, at the foot of the cross, absolved, done, and he said he it, it was as though he had floated out of the confessional and just felt so good, so peaceful, so joyful, so happy because he had been freed um, from from all the sins he had committed. So I used to begin my my lesson on confession uh, with that story because it speaks to uh, just the beauty of the sacrament. Um, this priest seemed to be very in tune with the Holy Spirit, in tune with God, who is the one whom we meet in the sacrament of confession. So it's Jesus healing us, forgiving us of our sins. Um, But it also speaks to just the beautiful humanity of the sacraments. So Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, becomes a human being and walks every step of our humanity. And so the sacraments, while they are, um, you know, of God, they are these supernatural things, moments, opportunities, which, which free us from sin, which, um, open us up to the, the graces and and beauty that God has for us. They're very human. And the sacrament of confession, especially is this very human opportunity where we can unburden ourselves. Um, you know, as we might do during therapy or in talking to a friend, um, where we're, we're unloading the, the stuff that we have accumulated, again, as a result of our own decisions throughout life. And so how beautiful that God offers that to us, uh, not just once, but as much as we want throughout our lives. We can go to confession 
uh, as often as we want. And so um, praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to come again and again and again as we, you know, make bad decisions throughout our lives, as we turn from God, as we hurt ourselves and hurt each other. We can come back and come back to God and be healed of that, be forgiven of that, and also receive the grace not to do those things again, to get just a little bit better or maybe a lot better each time we go to the sacrament of confession. So uh, again, on the second half of today's episode, we'll read paragraphs 963 through 987, and it's paragraph 978 that I want to focus on today, which speaks beautifully of first the sacrament of baptism, how when we are baptized, we are cleansed of original sin, we are made new, and it's like we have a clean slate, but then as we continue to make our way through life, uh, sadly... Often when we walk out that confessional door, we start messing up again and again and again. And so God offers us through the sacrament of confession um, an opportunity to be restored, renewed, and strengthened not to do these things again. So by the grace of God, to hurt those we love a little less and to hurt ourselves a little less um, and live the, the blessed life that the happy life that God has for, for each and every one of us. So paragraph 978 of the catechism says this. When we made our first profession of faith while receiving the holy baptism that cleansed us, the forgiveness we received then was so full and complete that there remained in us absolutely nothing left to efface, neither original sin nor offenses committed by our own will, nor was there left any penalty to suffer in order to expiate them. Yet the grace of baptism delivers no one from all the weakness of nature. On the contrary, we must still combat the movements of concupiscence that never cease leading us into evil. So I I like that line. Uh, Baptism cleanses us and forgives us so fully that there's nothing left to efface. So not one iota of of sin or or dirt as a result of our sin. We're we're completely clean and pure. This makes me think of when I was in college, uh, there was a fellow student who um, e- each year, Steubenville put on this this beautiful uh, vigil at Easter time, and a number of of students or people from town or family members and friends, people associated with the university, would get baptized and receive their other sacraments, as many do at the Easter vigil. So there was this one student who. Um, had never received any of the sacraments. I forget how he ended up at Steubenville, such a Catholic university. Um, so he received baptism at the Easter vigil. And afterwards, we were all kind of like, ooh, like, can, can we touch your arm? Like, you have no sin. <laughs> so as the catechism says, it had been completely effaced from his soul, from his life. And he was sparkling, radiantly new, thanks to the sacrament of baptism. But again, sadly... He continued to, like all of us, make his way through life and I'm sure commit sins and then, you know, was in, in the confessional after that. Um, the, this last line says, yet the grace of baptism delivers no one from all the weakness of nature. On the contrary, we must still combat the movements of concupiscence. So concupiscence is that that $100, million-dollar theology term, which simply means our tendency to sin. So... Uh, because of Adam and Eve, who received our humanity, so first man and first woman received our humanity on behalf of all humanity, and then turned from God, they committed the original sin, the first sin. They wounded human nature. And so we all inherit that wounded human nature when we're born. 
by the grace of God and the grace of baptism, uh, original sin is washed away. So we are we are healed, we are forgiven, we are cleansed. However, uh, there, there's still a wound of that original sin. So there's still like a little scar that we all walk around with that makes us tend towards sin. So because of original, the wound of original sin, the, this term uh, concupiscence is alive in all of us where we, we tend, it's easier for us to sin than not to sin. So easier, sadly, to do the wrong thing than the right thing. Um, and the way I used to explain this to my students is, is when we, let's say, get cut and, you know, let's say our hand is cut on something and, and we're bleeding, um, we can wash away that blood and that little wound can heal, but there's still like a, a, a little scar, a little mark. And so with, uh, as in, a, by way of analogy, when Adam and Eve committed original sin, it's like humanity was cut. And the sacrament of baptism uh, wipes away that blood um, so that we are cleansed, we are healed, we're forgiven, but there's still like a, a little scar on our hand there, um, which makes it a little harder to hold something or, you know, get our grip around something in a strong way. And so uh, we all tend towards sin and... Again, thank you, Jesus. We have the the sacrament of confession to help us first be forgiven of our sins and then, by the grace of God, get better at not tending towards sin, not giving into that, that concupiscence or that wound of original sin. This brings me back to one of my favorite themes when it comes to our Catholic faith, and that's being faithful to the, the small, mundane, uh, kind of boring tasks of life, which when we do them, we uphold them, is actually quite heroic. So I think of, uh, you know, some of the, the chores of life, such as doing the laundry or, or weeding the garden. Um, they are not exciting or, or necessarily, you could say, like sexy in any way to, you know, fold washcloths and pair socks or pull, you know, little, little weeds out of the garden. But to do the laundry every week and, you know, run it through the washer, the dryer, throw it on the couch, fold it, put it away in each drawer um, to go out to the garden and, you know, get those tenacious little weeds or those, you know, whatever, big weeds in the garden um, week after week or season after season. Uh, it's really heroic because it's it's much easier not to do those things, uh, to let them go and, um, you know, maybe put them aside. So we could say the same thing of confession. Um, sometimes we'll have those moments like Father John did where we we leave the confessional and we feel the newness of having been healed, having been forgiven uh, thanks to that sacrament. But oftentimes, maybe most times, we'll walk into the confessional with lots of other things on our mind. We'll unburden ourselves, we'll confess, we'll be forgiven, and then we'll walk out of the confessional and kind of move on to those other things we need to do in life. It's it's not always exciting or like that lightning bolt moment um, where we feel clean and refreshed. And so um, I think it's easy then not to go to confession because the other you know tasks of life kind of crowd in. But God has promised us, as we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 23, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them and whose sins you don't forgive or whose sins you retain are not forgiven or retained. So God has promised when we confess um, in the sacrament of confession, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this a little more deeply when we get to part two of the catechism, 
uh, they're forgiven, whether we feel it or not, whether we have, again, like Father John, walk out of the confessional feeling like we're floating on a cloud or feel like, ah, I got to get dinner in the oven and, you know, whatever, get to that engagement an hour from now. Uh, our sins are forgiven. Okay, they, they are remembered no more. Um, so let's uh, remain faithful to the sacrament of confession, or I should say let's take advantage of this incredible sacrament. I'm also reminded of this great quote by G.K. Chesterton, who talked about um, to to keep the status quo, basically, it's a lot of hard work. It doesn't look like it. So, you know, we often take for granted the laundry. The clean laundry is is cleaned, folded, and in the drawers. We don't think about all the the work that went into it, or we look at a, a beautiful garden and don't think about those, you know, tedious moments of of weeding and and keeping up something. Um, he says this about those daily tasks or those being faithful to the mundane moments of life. G.K. Chesterton says this, All conservatism is based upon the idea that if you leave things alone, you leave them as they are. But you do not. If you leave a thing alone, you leave it to a torrent of change. If you leave a white post alone, it will soon be a black post. If you particularly want it to be white, you must be always painting it again. That is, you must be always having a revolution. Briefly, if you want the old white post, you must have a new white post. So to have folded laundry, to have a weeded garden, to have a clean soul that is peaceful and and filled with God's grace, we have to keep going back, keep going back, keep going back, um, be faithful to these these simple, again, mundane, everyday tasks. Um, I also think of, uh, I forget where I heard this this story or anecdote, and it's probably just an illustration of the theme. But the, the story goes that a husband comes home one day from work, and as he pulls into the driveway, he sees that, that the lawn is a mess. There's, there's toys and um, garden tools kind of strewn about the lawn. And as he gets out of the car and walks up to the front door, he sees that the, the front door is, is slightly open. And so he, he pushes it open. He goes in, and the mess that meets his eye is, is just what he found on the front lawn. Um, there's, like, laundry, you know, on the stairs thrown over the, the banister. There's pots and pans in the sink. Um, you know, there's a skateboard down the hallway. There's, you know, shoes kind of thrown around the house. And so he, he makes his way upstairs, and he continues to find the same thing. The house is just a mess. And... Um, as he, he goes room by room, he eventually makes his way into the bedroom and he sees his wife just like, huh, just, you know, awake but passed out on the bed. And he says, honey, what happened today? She goes, you know how you ask me every day, like, what did you do today? Well, today I didn't do it. <laughs> in other words, to come into a clean and orderly home, that required a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of upkeep, um, a lot of tasks that nobody wants to do and are often taken for granted. But by being faithful to those little things, um, it makes for a beautiful home in this analogy or a beautiful soul, a beautiful life um, that is accomplished through heroism to those daily boring mundane tasks. So let's uh, take this episode and put it into practice. Let's, if you've been away from confession for a while, I invite you to revisit the sacrament of confession. If you go regularly or somewhat regularly, uh, let's go again, I would say, in the next two weeks. Okay, so in the next two weeks, let's go to the sacrament of confession 
and come before the Lord, come before Jesus Christ in the sacrament and unburden ourselves. Okay, confess the sins we've committed, the ways that we've hurt him and ourselves and others, and allow him to forgive us, to heal us, to wash us clean, and to give us the grace to strengthen us not to do those things again. Um, it might take, you know, multiple times of going to confession, months, years even, of confessing the same thing, but that grace is, is real and can be active in our lives, and it can strengthen us to be better, to, to get better, and to, again, enjoy that, that blessed, happy life that God has for us. You might go, you know, individually, or you might go invite a friend or go with your family um, and make it a, a fun thing. I think I've talked on previous episodes about how my parents were really good at pairing faith-filled things with fun things so that it was a very happy association for us. So we would go, um, my parents, as they grew in their Catholic faith, at one point decided that we would go, try to go as a family once a month, and then we would either go out for ice cream afterwards or go out to dinner. And I happily remember this one one moment where we all went to confession. We're, we're sitting online, ready to go into the confessional, and my mom starts asking each of us, okay, before I go in, is there anything that I've, that I've done to you, any sin I've committed against you that I need to confess? And again, on the practical side, what, what a beautiful opportunity just to talk about, um, you know, how we might have hurt each other to, to grow as a family, grow in our relationships. And so my youngest brother, Matthew, who is very funny, he turns to my mom with kind of this sneaky little smile on his face. He says, oh, yeah, mom you committed the sin of envy against me. And so we're all giggling, you know, as we go into the confessional. So um, maybe invite a friend, a family member, go with your family, and then do something fun afterwards. Make it a happy association. Celebrate what has just just happened. Like so many things in our Catholic faith, going to confession is not always easy. So it's very practically, it's not always easy to get there because we have so many other things going on in life. Um, it's also not easy to come before another person, the priest, often a stranger, or maybe even you know someone we know quite well, and say these awful, ugly things that we've done. So remember, it's Jesus we meet in confession. He's the one who forgives us, cleanses us, heals us and uh, gives us the grace to go forward and, by his grace, do better, live a happier, more blessed life. So we'll end the first half of our episode there, take a brief break, and then rejoin on the second side to read paragraphs 963 through 987. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 963 through 987. Paragraph 6, Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. Since the Virgin Mary's role in the mystery of Christ and the Spirit has been treated, it is fitting now to consider her place in the mystery of the Church. The Virgin Mary is acknowledged and honored as being truly the Mother of God and of the Redeemer. She is clearly the Mother of the members of Christ, since she has by her charity joined in bringing about the birth of believers in the Church, who are members of its head. Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. Mary's Motherhood with Regard to the Church wholly united with her Son. 
Mary's role in the church is inseparable from her union with Christ and flows directly from it. This union of the mother with the son in the work of salvation is made manifest from the time of Christ's virginal conception up to his death. It is made manifest above all at the hour of his passion. Thus, the Blessed Virgin advanced in her pilgrimage of faith and faithfully persevered in her union with her son unto the cross. There she stood, in keeping with the divine plan, enduring with her only begotten son the intensity of his suffering, joining herself with his sacrifice in her mother's heart, and lovingly consenting to the immolation of this victim born of her, to be given by the same Christ Jesus dying on the cross as a mother to his disciple with these words, Woman, behold your son. After her son's ascension, Mary aided the beginnings of the church by her prayers. In her association with the apostles and several women, we also see Mary by her prayers imploring the gift of the Spirit, who had already overshadowed her in the Annunciation. Also in her Assumption. Finally, the Immaculate Virgin, virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory, and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things, so that she might be the more fully conformed to her Son, the Lord of Lords and conqueror of sin and death. The Assumption of the Blessed Virgin is a singular participation in her son's resurrection and an anticipation of the resurrection of other Christians. In giving birth, you kept your virginity. In your dormition, you did not leave the world, O Mother of God, but were joined to the source of life. You conceive the living God and by your prayers will deliver our souls from death. She is our mother in the order of grace. By her complete adherence to the Father's will, to his Son's redemptive work, and to every prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary is the Church's model of faith and charity. Thus, she is a preeminent and wholly unique member of the Church. Indeed, she is the exemplary realization of the Church. Her role in relation to the Church and to all humanity goes still further. In a wholly singular way, she cooperated by her obedience, faith, hope, and burning charity in the Savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls. For this reason, she is a mother to us in the order of grace. This motherhood of Mary in the order of grace continues uninterruptedly from the consent which she loyally gave at the Annunciation and which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside the saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the Church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. Mary's function as Mother of Men in no way obscures or diminishes this unique mediation of Christ, but rather shows its power. But the Blessed Virgin's salutary influence on men flows forth from the superabundance of the merits of Christ, rests on his mediation, depends entirely on it, and draws all its power from it. No creature could ever be counted along with the incarnate Word and Redeemer, but just as the priesthood of Christ is shared in various ways, both by his ministers and the faithful, and as the one goodness of God is radiated in different ways among his creatures, so also the unique mediation of the Redeemer does not exclude but rather gives rise to a manifold cooperation, which is but a sharing in this one source. Devotion to the Blessed Virgin All generations will call me blessed. The Church's devotion to the Blessed Virgin is intrinsic to Christian worship. The Church rightly honors the Blessed Virgin with special devotion. From the most ancient times, the Blessed Virgin has been honored with the title of Mother of God, to whose protection the faithful fly in all their dangers and needs. 
This very special devotion differs essentially from the adoration which is given to the incarnate word and equally to the Father and the Holy Spirit and greatly fosters this adoration. The liturgical feasts dedicated to the Mother of God and Mary in prayer, such as the Rosary, an epitome of the whole gospel, express this devotion to the Virgin Mary. Mary, eschatological icon of the church. After speaking of the church, her origin, mission, and destiny, we can find no better way to conclude than by looking to Mary. In her, we contemplate what the church already is in her mystery on her own pilgrimage of faith and what she will be in the homeland at the end of her journey. There, in the glory of the most holy and undivided Trinity, in the communion of all the saints, the church is awaited by the one she venerates as mother of her Lord and as her own mother. In the meantime, the mother of Jesus, in the glory which she possesses in body and soul in heaven, is the image and beginning of the church as it is to be perfected in the world to come. Likewise, she shines forth on earth until the day of the Lord shall come, a sign of certain hope and comfort to the pilgrim people of God. In brief, by pronouncing her fiat at the Annunciation and giving her consent to the Incarnation, Mary was already collaborating with the whole work her son was to accomplish. She is mother wherever he is savior and head of the mystical body. The most blessed Virgin Mary, when the course of her earthly life was completed, was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven, where she already shares in the glory of her son's resurrection, anticipating the resurrection of all the members of his body. We believe that the Holy Mother of God, the new Eve, mother of the church, continues in heaven to exercise her maternal role on behalf of the members of Christ. Article 10, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The Apostles' Creed associates faith in the forgiveness of sins, not only with faith in the Holy Spirit, but also with faith in the Church and in the communion of saints. It was when he gave the Holy Spirit to his Apostles that the risen Christ conferred on them his own divine power to forgive sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Part 2 of the Catechism will deal explicitly with the forgiveness of sins through baptism, the sacrament of penance, and the other sacraments, especially the Eucharist. Here, it will suffice to suggest some basic facts briefly. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Our Lord tied the forgiveness of sins to faith and baptism. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Baptism is the first and chief sacrament of forgiveness of sins because it unites us with Christ, who died for our sins and rose for our justification, so that we too might walk in newness of life. When we made our first profession of faith while receiving the holy baptism that cleansed us, the forgiveness we received then was so full and complete that there remained in us absolutely nothing left to efface, neither original sin nor offenses committed by our own will nor was there left any penalty to suffer in order to expiate them. Yet the grace of baptism delivers no one from all the weakness of nature. On the contrary, we must still combat the movements of concupiscence that never cease leading us into evil. In this battle against our inclination towards evil, who could be brave and watchful enough to escape every wound of sin? If the church has the power to forgive sins, then baptism cannot be her only means of using the keys of the kingdom of heaven received from Jesus Christ. The church must be able to forgive all penitents their offenses, even if they should sin until the last moment of their lives. It is through the sacrament of penance that the baptized can be reconciled with God and with the church. Penance has rightly been called by the Holy Fathers a laborious kind of baptism. 
This sacrament of penance is necessary for salvation for those who have fallen after baptism, just as baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not yet been reborn. The Power of the Keys After his resurrection, Christ sent his apostles so that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. The apostles and their successors carry out this ministry of reconciliation, not only by announcing to men God's forgiveness merited for us by Christ and calling them to conversion and faith, but also by communicating to them the forgiveness of sins and baptism and reconciling them with God and with the church through the power of the keys received from Christ. The church has also received the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that in her sins may be forgiven through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit's action. In this church, the soul dead through sin comes back to life in order to live with Christ, whose grace has saved us. There is no offense, however serious, that the church cannot forgive. There is no one, however wicked and guilty, who may not confidently hope for forgiveness, provided his repentance is honest. Christ, who died for all men, desires that in his church the gates of forgiveness should always be open to anyone who turns away from sin. Catechesis strives to awaken and nourish in the faithful faith in the incomparable greatness of the risen Christ's gift to his church, the mission and the power to forgive sins through the ministry of the apostles and their successors. The Lord wills that his disciples possess a tremendous power, that his lowly servants accomplish in his name all that he did when he was on earth. That's from St. Ambrose. Priests have received from God a power that he has given neither to angels nor to archangels. God above confirms what priests do here below. That's St. John Chrysostom. Were there no forgiveness of sins in the church, there would be no hope of life to come or eternal liberation. Let us thank God who has given his church such a gift. That's St. Augustine. In brief, the creed links the forgiveness of sins with its profession of faith in the Holy Spirit. For the risen Christ entrusted to the apostles the power to forgive sins when he gave them the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the first and chief sacrament of the forgiveness of sins. It unites us to Christ, who died and rose, and gives us the Holy Spirit. By Christ's will, the Church possesses the power to forgive the sins of the baptized and exercises it through bishops and priests, normally in the sacrament of penance. In the forgiveness of sins, both priests and sacraments are instruments which our Lord Jesus Christ, the only author and liberal giver of salvation, wills to use in order to efface our sins and give us the grace of justification. This brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks so much for joining me for another week of reading through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Between this week and next week, uh, please uh, connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. And I just started doing, I'm two weeks into doing a weekly Lexio Divina, where I'll take the gospel passage for a particular day and then... Um, invite the Holy Spirit, prayerfully invite the Holy Spirit to be with us as we read the passage, consider some of the words and phrases that might jump out at us, and then um, I post that to my YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube, if you're not following me on YouTube, go to YouTube, search Catholic Light Podcast, and you'll see now there's a weekly Lexio Divina. So the last one was about 10 minutes, so if you want to take a moment out of your day, 10 minutes out of your day, and pray through a gospel passage with me, I invite you to do that. So thanks for joining me. Uh, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.